in-house, we use uh, Spark, which is for our airmen to come forward with bright ideas. When they encounter a challenge in the field, they can bring that forward and say, look, this is a problem and it touches all of these areas in the Air Force and others can upvote that and say, yes, this is a problem for us too. We'll partner them with the right technology uh, and the right experts to develop that out, rapidly iterate with them in the room. um, And then they tell us, this is perfect. We need to tweak it like this, make this change. And then we're able to roll it out very quickly. Life is an endless stream of challenges, but no worries. Manoj is bringing the world's best minds right here for you. My gosh, Manoj, you just blew my mind. Thank you, universe. Manoj, thank you. I'm so grateful. Makes me feel a little bit better. Thank you. Bootstrapping Your Dreams is here to give you what you need to succeed. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dream Show. I'm your host Manoj Agarwal and today we'll be talking with Lieutenant Colonel Jennifer J.J. Snow, who is the Chief Technology Officer at the United States Air Force AFWORKS. AFWORKS is a United States Air Force program with the goal of fostering a culture of innovation within the service. It is intended to engage inter and extra service innovators and entrepreneurs in the operations of the United States Air Force. Uh, Jennifer serves as as the government representative for technology outreach and engagement on behalf of the command and 756 interagency action officers spanning 40 different government agencies. Um, Snow has over 23 years of experience of successful federal civil uh, civilian and military leadership and management experience. And she's a top innovative and focused individual recognized for the ability to consistently overcome obstacles in the defense and intelligence community. Uh, Jennifer's background is in counter proliferation. I can't pronounce that. (laughs) (laughs) Counter proliferation, yes. Yeah, and uh, (laughs) counterterrorism operations, uh, which includes tours and deployments with Air Force Special Operations Command Special Tactics, Joint Special Operations Command, the 17th Training Wing, National Security Agency, which is known as NSA generally, Junior Officer Crypto uh, Cryptologic Career Program, 70th Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance. <laughs> this is another one I can't pronounce. <laughs> uh, Wing, a United States Special uh, Operations Command, and most recently AFWORKS. JJ's work has been presented to the members of the National Security Council and the White House, and key senior leaders across the Department uh, Department of Defense, Intelligence Community, and Interagency to inform and highlight emergent risks and opportunities in, uh, involving technology and technology influence environments. In her current role at AFWORKS, JJ serves as the military representative for technology outreach and engagement, bridging the gap between government and various technology communities to improve collaboration and communications, foster a culture of innovation, identify smart solutions to wicked problems, and guide the development of future technologies to benefit the US Air Force, Department of Defense, interagency, and allied partners. She's also an expert in, um, she's an expert networker and team builder, ready to tackle the toughest problems by leveraging non-traditional, unconventional solutions and collaborating with world-class innovators who are driven to make a positive difference. JJ truly believes that anyone can be an innovator, no matter their age or background. According to her, the best innovation stories exude passion, vision, and cross-cutting impact. I'm so excited to talk to you, Jennifer. (laughs) Manaj, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here, and it's great to see you again. And I'm just super, super excited to contribute to your show and, and what you've been building. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. So first of all, I always uh, you know like to get to know the guests. So can you tell us about your journey? Uh, I mean, you know, um, you started off as a science fiction writer. You were you're doing so many things, and and now you are you know you're you're um, uh, pushing the the boundaries of technology for United States Air Force and and innovating uh, all these amazing things. So please help us get to know you better. Sure, sure. So I. I, um, I actually started off with Fish and Wildlife Service as a wildland firefighter in a park range for five years. And my love of technology came through there. I was uh, using radio telemetry to track endangered squirrel populations on the Delmarva Peninsula. We were sturgeons up and down the Chesapeake Bay to study their, their migration. Um, so a lot of the technologies that I started to play around with started in Fish and Wildlife Service. And then I joined the Air Force. Um, they were part of the plan to pay for a master's degree and actually go back to the FBI, which is a completely different story. But doing that, I decided that, hey, I really love this and I want to stay on board as an intelligence officer where I'm looking at different types of technologies. What are the risks that they pose? What are some of the opportunities that they bring? And then how do we bring that together, uh, you know, in, on behalf of national security? And then that led to my current job, which I've been doing for the last six years as an innovation officer. Um, every job I'll tell you has been great by far. This is my, my favorite line of work. I get to work with all kinds of amazing people. I learn something new every single day and, uh, and I've just been fantastic. I just, I'm so, so pleased with, uh, my, my experience in the air force and all of the wonderful opportunities I've had. Yeah, that's amazing. No, I, I follow you, um, on LinkedIn and, uh, you're publishing new content every day. And, uh, you know, some of the innovations that, um, like, I think I, I'm pretty up to speed on what is happening around the world, but the thing that you post is like mind blowing stuff. So I don't know where you get the information from. Obviously you have, uh, you know, better sources than, than uh, most. Um, so, uh, let's talk about innovation within the government. Like, you know, uh, obviously air force and U uh, S uh, army, are uh, they are known for, you know, really, Mm, adopting uh, high technology, like uh, really, really advanced technology for for um, uh, protecting the entire world, basically. Um, but uh, from what I know and understand, the general perception is they don't move as fast. You know, they take their time and and they evaluate the technology and 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 they make sure that everything is 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 good before they actually uh, include it in their um, in their um, repertoire. Um, so. Tell us how your role is different because I know you work at a different pace than the rest of the the Air Force. So can you shed a little bit of light on that? Yeah, definitely. And and that's a great question because um, part of the challenge, and, and this was under former Secretary of Defense Ash Carter, uh, is the fact that our acquisition cycles were moving slowly and he really wanted to foster an environment that enabled agile acquisition so that when we had military personnel coming in with a need, we could respond much faster. Um, from that was born the Works Models, uh, DIUX, Naval X, and several other innovation hubs. These are fantastic. So when they first came out, I was skeptical because everybody knows how slow the government moves in acquisition. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of policy behind that, regulation behind that, that we're looking at. How can we tweak this? How can we change it? What do we need to keep and what do we need to improve upon or dispose of and make better, like break it to make it better? The works models um, really were one of the foundational models to help do that. It's a public space. 
It's a digital and physical space where all kinds of bright minds can come together, government and private sector, academia, hackers and makers, and come around these really wicked problems and bring in you know, unique technologies in ways that we never imagined. Right. How to solve those problems together and then that bring that forward in a way that it benefits the individual innovator and the small business, but it's also benefiting the government and helping us to move faster. And so what you saw was a number of different interesting acquisition mechanisms that came into play that then allowed us to move much faster. For example, uh, we have the, the sibbers and the sitters that are brought into play here, that uh, small business innovation research and the science tech transfer research that are brought into play with the Air Force. This allows us to bring in a small company and see if the, the, the tech that they have is of interest to an Air Force partner. If it is, they've got $50,000 to start and they can talk to all of our liaisons. If it is, that partner does a letter of interest and then that moves them on to a phase two. If the partner's a major command, they can choose to match funding with AFWorks. So they can put funding in and we'll match that. And sometimes we'll have a private sector partner that comes in that has an interest in that area too. They will also do matching. And so you've got a number of exciting options there. Um, In-house, we use uh, Spark which is for our airmen to come forward with bright ideas. When they encounter a challenge in the field, they can bring that forward and say, look, this is a problem. And it touches all of these areas in the Air Force. And others can upvote that and say, yes, this is a problem for us too. We'll partner them with the right technology uh, and the right experts to develop that out, rapidly iterate with them in the room. um, And then they tell us, this is perfect. We need to tweak it like this, make this change. And then we're able to roll it out very quickly. A lot of that is done open source. Uh, in many cases, we'll team up with one or more small companies, and that can move very, very quickly. Under a year, sometimes under six months, sometimes under three months if it's something smaller and we're able to get that going quick. Um, for a lot of our, our, our SBIR grants and our STTRs, um, you're able to put in for those. And I think we had ooh, close to 4,000 this last time. Um, our team will review those and then go ahead and send a letter out. And we try to turn those in about 45 days. Wow. Heard of. Before it would take you 18 to 36 months. And yeah. some of the larger contracts will still take that time period. But now we're also establishing really unique transition mechanisms. So for the first time, instead of waiting, you know, and, and okay, we've got our first 50K and now we've got our second round of funding and, and a customer that's working with us. And now we've got our third round oh gosh, we don't have a contract yet. What happens? Mm-hmm. Figuring out those smart paths. So one of them, we're, we're teaming up with the Naval Postgraduate School because they have all of the services there and a bunch of our interagency partners. And in this, uh, we're leveraging off of the joint interagency tech bridge that they have. Bringing everybody together and allowing our students that are there for 18, 24 months, sometimes 36 months, to come in with a problem that they've had on their last assignment. They can work as a team or individually and say, I've got this challenge and then reach out to the right companies or reach out to AFWorks and say, look, I need help on this. That becomes their thesis or capstone. Mm. Eight months or 36 months when they graduate, they've now worked with that company to evolve a solution that also counted as their capstone or thesis work. And that gives a clear transition pathway because many of them go on to their next command bring that technology with them and deploy it into the field for the first time. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's <laughs> wow. I mean, um, you know, you mentioned the word agile and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
my background is technology i have worked in silicon valley startups for the longest time and uh, it sounds very similar you know what you are doing and um, when you mentioned agile i was like okay you know a lot of people do mention agile but when you started describing it it actually sounds exactly like how these tech giants um, work so that's amazing and so that also brings about another problem because now things are opening up and you you're evaluating all these technologies 4000 is not an easy thing to evaluate all these things so you know from what i understand you have a small team it's not a big team so how do you prioritize uh, evaluating all these uh, proposals or technologies or solutions that you're working on so this last time what we decided to do was open it up so our interagency partners who are looking for some of the same solutions were there to help us vet it what we did was we broke it down so we can have one person review as few as 12 technologies rank them and then push it back to the overall group and we can do it by segment so specific focus area or we can do it by uh an interagency focus area and then they can match it against what the air force is doing in this case we have all of these interagency partners sister service partners and the air force the afworks team they're actually evaluating this with help what that does is it creates this really cool collaborative environment where other people other teams that may also need the same technology can now look at it they don't have to duplicate the effort of reaching out to say hey we've got all of these needs they can see what we have and if it works for them then we can team up on that nice nice if we save time and everybody gets a win that's amazing and so uh then then comes the, i'm sorry i'm going to ask these questions because uh, as a engineer I, i my mind sort of goes to the next step so it it must create a whole bunch of information raw information about what is being worked on and then how do you how do you make sure that information gets disseminated and and it's organized in a way that is digestible and i can say okay yeah this one looks good for me this one doesn't look good for me like how how does that happen because i mean that's that's a big challenge itself Yes, so there are several different databases that we're working with. Uh one of the the longest running and I would say the legacy database is a database called Vulkan. Um this is a joint database that actually creates a a, a tech bazaar if you will where companies can come online and set up their own free tech card. And mm-hmm. in this space they can put all of their information, their contact information, they can do an overview, they can share a white paper or a slide deck, and then at the same time government customers can come in and view a series of tech. So if for example, say I was traveling to San Francisco and I wanted to look at all of the artificial intelligence companies that were in that specific area because I want to like set my trip up around me. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. This database allows me to go in. I can click on San Francisco and then I can sort for artificial intelligence companies and it will pull up everybody that has filed a card in that database and mm-hmm. it the companies to do this and then I can click on it and I see their point of contact I see where they're located and I can set up my time around the city to meet with all of them and go around and and you know tell them hey this is what I'm looking for specifically and come back home with a a fantastic list of capabilities what we started doing before the pandemic and we started doing this virtually after the pandemic was we actually have a joint technology scouting team so the army was involved the navy involved department of homeland security got involved um the air force of course was involved the special operations was involved so we had all of these different team members coming in bringing their requirements and we'd sit in a room 
and we'd say to people, hey, we're coming out to San Francisco or, you know, we're coming to Austin. They would meet with us and we would each go around the room and say who we were and the organization that we represented and what some of the funding opportunities were. They got 10 minutes to run us through a pitch and then 10 minutes to answer any questions. And if we were interested, we'd exchange cards and then we'd follow up with them. Now we've switched everything digitally. So we uh, tech conferences, uh, joint tech conferences uh, with the the folks out in Washington State, uh, the Northwest uh, Defense Conference folks. And then we've done a a bunch of meetings. Uh, Ridgeline Partners was the last one in New York City. And they set up a a bunch of companies for us to look at. It makes it really easy for you to uh, get to know people and understand their technology quickly the right resources that matter to you. Not all of the tech will meet all of the requirements for the people in the room, but everybody comes away with a win. And after each one of these trips, we do a full report and that's shared out across the defense department, our interagency partners with all the contact information and a brief summary on each company. So anybody can follow up with them. And we also encourage them to go back into Vulcan, share their data. And then in that space, the government can actually put a call for specific technologies, or can actually post an upcoming event, all they have to do is drop their their company card in there, their virtual card, and then they're registered and the service can reach out or the interagency partner can reach out and say, hey, yes, we want to include you in this. That's great. So so it sounds uh, almost like you're removing a lot of barriers to to work with the government and, and inviting pretty much everyone who can sort of contribute. Very much so. Uh, one of the biggest pieces that we wanted to do was find a a friendly front door for small businesses and individual innovators to find their way in. A lot of cases you have large companies and they overshadow the little guys. Yeah, yeah. Try to create equitable environments. So uh, I know when I was at Softworks, uh, one of the conferences uh, or conventions we held was a cybersecurity convention. And we invited, I think, 80 different companies. Everyone got a table and two chairs. Nice, nice. So it didn't matter if you were one of the very big companies. Yeah, yeah company just getting started and uh the little guys that were coming in thought it was hilarious they, they were like this is great we're all on equal footing now yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know the big companies actually like this is actually cool we didn't have to bring all of this stuff to set it up and it was more personal more engaging and everybody had a really good time we got some great feedback but a lot of the changes we're making that's coming from the feedback that we've been given um over time and we're trying to listen to our customers on all sides and adapt and improve you are listening to Bootstrapping Your Dream Show with Manu Jagarwal. Businesses face numerous challenges like finding the right product market fit, determining the market size, implementing a winning go-to-market strategy, crafting customer-centric USP, competitive analysis, looking for funding, building up cash flow and profitability. We have made a lot of free resources available to the entrepreneurial community, including this podcast. podcast. We invite you to check out our websites and follow us on social channels. The links are in the show notes. We hope you find the resources useful and utilize them to grow grow your business. We also have some programs for entrepreneurs. If you find our content useful, then you will definitely find the programs outstanding. So do check them out. Nice. That's great. I mean, I, I, I can tell you like even just listening to you is kind of refreshing because uh, this is, you know, this is not how generally I'm, I'm used to uh, hearing from, from the, the government um, or, or Air Force for that matter. So that's great. Um, 
Can you tell us a little bit about what are some of your favorite innovations that came out of this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're going to make me pick. No, maybe yeah, maybe maybe something There's so many. Yeah, maybe yeah. like um I don't know what criteria could be maybe something that benefits the 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 um the army as well as um yeah, you know sure. small businesses or or you know civilians. Yeah, yeah. So um Oh, well, one that we recently had a discussion with is uh, a company that is doing space-based refueling of satellites. So this is wow. a gas station in space. Um, super, super excited about that because you all have joint satellites up there. Yeah. And instead of um, having a satellite degrade because you no longer have propellant in it, this would allow us to fuel up our satellites. We wow. actually think about how could we, we leverage things like small-scale robotics that could actually repairs on the satellites to keep them up in the air longer and you know, give them a, a longer life. And so this was really exciting for us to see the company actually resupplied the International Space Station with water. Uh, right. They're moving forward very quickly. Another company I just talked to this week, um, they have a, a concept into a prototype for reusable launch containers these would actually launch with a, a regular rocket going to space and you could put an experiment on board or test equipment or resupply. And here's where it gets really exciting. They, they're reusable up to five times. Wow. You want to put them in outer space and there's a crisis that happens. There's a tsunami that happens someplace. If the military deploys to that location, they can actually reach out and hit their phone and say, I want a resupply cargo crate to land within 50 yards of this location and they hit it and 30 minutes later it comes down to their location. My goodness. That's right? Amazing. Isn't that that's cool? <laughs> so amazing. these are the things that we're seeing and it's so exciting because uh, people are, are doing this really innovative collaborative stuff and it feels like uh, this year in particular it's really, really picked up. People are, are being really thoughtful about interesting combinations of technology and what comes next. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I, I'm, uh, it sounds like uh, people are giving some uh, competition to Elon Musk here. Yeah, or they're going to leverage off of what he's built and push yeah. it. Forward. So, and that's the other exciting thing. You see all these incredible space platforms moving forward and then people are figuring out, well, that platform exists when it didn't before. So now I can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And so they're combining new technologies in interesting ways around that. You know, we were talking about uh, additive manufacturing, 3D printing. Of course, of course. And so there's a lot of discussion about new materials, lighter materials to reduce the launch loads, yeah. uh, materials that are biodegradable, uh, materials that are, you know, responsive to different stimulus. So sunlight or water, I mean, just really fantastic capabilities that we haven't thought of before. But people yeah. are playing tech in interesting ways, and that's generating these brilliant new ideas. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I spent some time in uh, uh, in 3D printing and, you know, uh, coming up with new materials. And and this was a totally new world for me. And and, and yeah, I mean, just just understanding how far we can stretch the technology is mind blowing because some of the things were not even possible, you know, um, oh, I know. Uh, before that. So they're, they're talking great. about, OK, now we can 3D print meta materials that create self-assembling like microstructures or nanostructures that yeah to heat or sunlight or water. And so they're flat and then you put them in water and they, they form this like solid barrier yeah. or they start to float. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the, the movie Batman where, you know, his cape is, is flat and then he hits it with an electric charge and it turns yeah. into that he can fly. That exactly. is happening, but with 3D printing now. It's Amazing. Very 
Amazing. So it's, uh, you know, we share this passion for space. Like I, I you know, since I was a kid, I, I always wanted to be an astronaut, but then I, then I learned I have to learn so much physics and I dropped that idea. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you also uh, wrote science fiction novels and, and um, you are a good, great storyteller. And so tell us a little bit about that. How, did you develop that skill over time and or what got you interested in, in, in uh, writing stories and telling stories? I've always been a reader since I was a kid. I love science. I love science fiction, science fact. Uh, I loved a good mystery. And so as a reader, it's almost natural that you also become a writer. And so mm -hmm. I off writing short stories, some poetry, and that turned into scientific articles. And then uh, a couple of books, which it belongs to a trilogy that I haven't finished in my family. Mm -hmm. Where's the last book? Because mm -hmm. the first book was a cliffhanger that the second book resolved. <laughs> Cliffhanger, and there's no third book yet. And they're like, oh. Oh. so um, yeah, I, I hope to get back to that one day. I, I don't know if that series will end, but um, you know, for me, storytelling is all about relating an experience in a meaningful way to others. And any of the best storytellers that I've met, they're able to convey information in such a way that there's a lesson there, and I'm able to retain that lesson, learn from it. And it becomes part of me, right? Yeah, of course. I'm doing a good job as a storyteller and I'm, I'm talking about innovation. When I walk into a room, my, my first one or two sentences has to get the audience excited. It has to get them engaged and it has to tell them why they care, especially with the military because our senior leaders are very busy people. There are men and women who do not have a lot of time. And so you've got to get to the bottom line fast. And that lets them know, hey, is this a meeting I want to sit through or is there something I can be catching up on and somebody else is going to follow up on this. It's really important to let them know right up front, here's why you care about this. Yeah. Telling a compelling story that lets them know this is why this technology is important. Here's how it solves your problem. That's the biggest part. And so I, I love stories because I feel like it brings us closer together as to inter lessons. And then it also helps us to share information, but in a meeting, meaningful way. If I, if I throw a bunch of facts and figures up on a, a board, a whiteboard, people are going to be bored. They're yawning. They don't get it. But if yeah. I tell a story that ties that together, now they're going to get excited about it. Now they're going to enjoy it and they're going to engage with me more and they're more willing to ask questions or to give feedback. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I learned this lesson the hard way because, uh, as I said, being an engineer, I always wanted to just present the facts and say, OK, you know, like, like this is this is my uh, point of view and this is the evidence of that and uh, I, I for the longest time I was I was confused like why people are not convinced and then I I learned okay you know it's about the stories it's about the emotional impact it's about why they should care and I had to learn all that so so that's a great point so I'm pretty sure it helped you in your career I mean you are an expert networker and everything so can you tell us how this this uh, skill of yours helped you in in the career. In your career? Sure, sure. So for me, most of the work I'm doing now, innovation is core to everything. And, and telling a story that gets people involved, makes them part of what's happening, mm -hmm. is a big part of what I try to do, especially in and around the different events, because we'll bring in a lot of different people from different walks of life, all ages. Sometimes you have an age of 13 to 84 in the room. 13 to, wow. And so they'll come in because there's a problem that they want to solve and they want to understand more about it and they want to contribute and give back and they want to have fun in the process. 
but they want it to be meaningful. And so you have to understand how each of them brings a different type of expertise. And, and for me, a lot of this ties into mentorship. And as you know, I'm part of the Mentor Project, which is an all-volunteer private nonprofit right now around mentoring. This is also um, you know, the core, the heart of what you do as a mentor. It's including people and making them feel like they're also part of the story. So when you bring them in and they understand, well, this is the problem, and then you, you open that aperture and you let them know that, hey, this is a space where anything's possible. Let's brainstorm. Let's, let's throw out all the crazy ideas we possibly can. And then you find out that the ideas you initially thought were crazy were not so crazy after all. Course, and cool things come out of that. Um, we had a, a process that we, we were looking at. How does a special operator uh, that works with a dog jump out at a high altitude well, the dog is, it needs to be on an oxygen mass, especially yeah. on an oxygen mass. The dog has to be oxygenated before that without stressing the dog out. Yeah. We had a very young teenage girl that, that had actually fit, like gone around her neighborhood and measured all of the muzzles on the different, oh my goodness. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and she had you measurements and it was wonderful. And then we had an older gentleman that came in and, and was thinking about, you know, well, we don't want the dog to be stressed out. We want him or her to be comfortable. And it was a super cool conversation. What came out of it was a square kennel size bag that has a top and the dog would be put in there as the plane was taking off and it had oxygen flowing to the yeah. dog. And it's got some gloves that you reach into the box. And right before the, they're getting ready to jump out of the plane, the, the special operator would reach in and put a little oxygen mask on the dog and unzip the top, lift the dog out, strap the dog to his chest and jump out the back of the airplane. Wow. It worked beautifully, and but you know that wouldn't have happened without all of these diverse perspectives. Of course, of course, that's an amazing story. Yeah, that's uh, that's hilarious. Um, so now we talked about storytelling, we talked about space, and uh, you know this is my first uh, uh, opportunity to talk about aliens with uh, with somebody <laughs> in, in the inside. Oh, you you may hear my aliens. I've got pugs on the floor. <laughs> That is, I know they've used the the pug noises in in uh, some of the the alien video games recently because they make such odd sounds. So if yeah, you yeah, yeah. aliens, it's pugs. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um. So. Um. First of all, what do you think? Like, you know, obviously, I I don't expect you to reveal any secret that you may know. But what do you think? Aliens exist or not? Like, uh, you know, recently there have been a lot of talk about Amomoa, who, which the, the the object that flew by. Yes, uh, yes, yes, system. and then they were talking and about the a lot of yeah, a lot of yes. debate about you know, yeah. ma you know, it's like artificial or natural. Uh, what are your views about it? Yeah, so it's really it's it's an interesting challenge, right? Because um, the the way it came into our solar system and the way it left was very irregular. Mm -hmm. Physics didn't quite make sense, so. Yeah. Um, I love the debate that's happening around it. I think it's really important. I, I hear people that are saying, oh, it's it's just, you know, a, an asteroid that was this unusual shape. I, I hear there's another gentleman that says it's actually a spaceship. Um, I don't know that either of those is correct. It may be someplace in between. Um, I'm leaning more towards that it, it's a, an unusually shaped asteroid at this point in time. Yeah. But I've got to tell you, it would be crazy to not think that there isn't life on other planets and that there aren't other life forms that are higher intelligence. I mean, we're yeah. discovering today here on earth that, you know, you, you've got, <laughs> I think they had a, what was it? Cephalopods um, 
cuttlefish that are able to do delayed gratification and experiment you would do with a child with marshmallows. <laughs> yeah, wow. I had no idea and mm -hmm. learning all the time. So, you know, it, my, my personal opinion there is I, I think that the, the universe is vast and we have a lot of exploring to do and I'm excited to see that happen. And um, yeah, I, I'd be really surprised if we don't encounter other life out there. Yeah, I do. I do agree. I do agree. I mean, uh, just by sheer numbers uh, and and the probabilities, uh, uh, you know, there is it's kind of hard to believe that there's, uh, you know, we are the only ones. But I think uh, it's mind boggling to think how far the distances are. And then yeah. and then it sort of comes into perspective that even if we, you know, send signals at the speed of light, it, it kind of takes centuries to get there. Yeah, it's it's. um it's hard to understand the vastness of space. And, and I've, I've had the opportunity to, to speak with several astronauts that have gone up into space and almost uh, all of them have said that the very first sensation they have in looking down at the earth is this sense of, of smallness. And then when you look out into the depths of space, you realize exactly how tiny we are in such an infinite area. Mm -hmm. It's such a cool thought that we still have so much to explore and so much experience. And I'm just excited to see what the next 50 years brings. I, I, there's so many great uh, space programs going up. I mean, everything that's been happening with Mars lately and the there, I'm just so excited. The next 50 years would be amazing. Yeah, exactly. I think I think maybe five years because James Webb Telescope is being, when is it, like next year or next to next, next year? I think it's next year. I'd have to, I'd have to go back and look. I think it's next year. Um, so much getting launched right now. Yeah. So many cool things happening. Um, and it's not just NASA mm -hmm. or the European Space Agency, but you now see all of these private entrants that are coming in and doing amazing things. I mean, mm -hmm. Musk, Jeff Bezos, and then these other small companies that are popping up all over and really surprising me and saying, hey, we're doing this, we're doing that. I talked to a company a few, few months back they actually are launching um, low earth orbit satellites out of the back of a pickup truck. Now wow. in a few weeks because they're very low in orbit, but you can use them for, you know, monitoring of like different areas for agricultural crops. You could use them for low level communications during a disaster. So it's that kind of mindset that's helping us to really probe our planet, but that will also be useful in other planets. Like, um, the first helicopter, the drone that's on Mars. I can't wait to see that thing fly and see what yeah, it Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and that's so amazing. cool. And think of all the area we can cover now because we have a, a flight-capable copter that's on our planet. Exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And and I think, um, you know, the day we do discover there's life out there, um, it, I think it'll change us as as a species it, itself in, in some way. I do too. Um, uh, because we are sort of an arrogant species at the end of the day. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of change has already happened in 2020. You know, uh, uh, things uh, shifted radically within a few weeks, yes. uh, you know. So uh, you have a very uh, unique vantage point. Like you're working with the private sector. You're working with the government at the highest level. So what, in your view, is going to sort of will be the long-term impact of, of uh, what we are going through? Um, economically, health, uh, you know, public health wise, and also uh, from the perspective of like uh, adoption of science and how it's going to impact how, you know, we educate our children, because I think a lot of things are going to change, in my opinion, I, I just mm -hmm. want to hear what you think. 
Yeah, so this has been such an interesting last year. Um, and, and I say that from the perspective of, you know, encompassing the idea that it was a, an extremely tragic year from the pandemic perspective, but it was an extremely triumphant year from the perspective of people finding their humanity coming together, even though we were remote, to make a positive difference for others. Yeah. And I so many incredible advances this year in various technology areas, ones that I didn't expect and some that really surprised me um, because people have been, you know, unencumbered by a lot of other distractions. We've kind of been put in this, this timeout zone that's really helped us to focus and create and be creative. Um, but also as we're working remotely, I, I feel like, uh, at least in my experience this last year, my network has grown tremendously. I, I'm talking to people around the world with amazing ideas. We're teaming up on different problems. Um, they've got some great techs to share that we're bringing here to the States. Um, and the impacts that I'm seeing are, instead of just developing a technology for a country, it's a technology for a region. It's a technology for the world. And people are focused more on social good and the impact that can come from uplifting and, and elevating so many others, empowering so many others. So I, um, I don't, I don't think we're going to be going back to business as usual. I see a lot of companies uh, that I've spoken to that are going to go to a hybrid structure. Best mm -hmm. uh, a lot of office space, and you see uh, companies like WeWork that are going to really flexible uh, housing and office models, where you now have like a, a swipe card, right? And you go. You swipe your card and it's it's like going to the, the gym and you're able to go and as you travel, you have a place to stay no matter where you are. Yeah. A lot of companies find that attractive and appealing because their teams are able to work from home. It's saving time and in many cases, people are, are happier. And if they get to go into the office a couple times a week, they've got that flexibility where they can see people and then they can still do stuff around the house when it's convenient for them. Yeah, for sure. And so it's it's a really interesting um, combination. I, I know for me, I've been really, really productive. And then at the same time, I also miss that face-to-face -face interaction. And, and it's really important when you're establishing those new relationships. So I think it will be a hybrid model. I don't think we're going to go 100% remote because um, humans like to be around other humans. Yeah. Of course. So I, I think that's that's an interesting an interesting development that will will help us globally as far as climate goes because it's going to cut down on traffic and traffic. yeah yeah of course, of course. Um, but it, it also may it also may result in how we restructure uh, the way cities are are designed and and the way we use buildings in the future. I think we're going to see some interesting changes there and especially around green tech. Yeah um, yeah yeah. So I, I, I think that there are some really exciting changes coming for healthcare too. We were talking about telehealth for years. It took a pandemic to actually get us there to where people are using telehealth and finding it more pleasant than waiting for a couple hours in a waiting room. They can be at home getting stuff done. The, you know, if, if their child is sick, they now are looking at you know a thermometer or a biometric device that can actually scan your child and give feedback, biofeedback to the doctor. Yeah. And if it's a fever, if it's a toothache, if it's an earache, you know, there are a lot of different things that are, are being examined right now as far as how can we make this beneficial in a remote fashion, and they're doing it, and then how can we make this accessible? The accessibility part really excites me because there's a large portion of the globe that does not have access to healthcare. Yeah. yeah. So 
we're able to do this in a meaningful way and we're able to provide that in a format that works across a variety of infrastructures robust to austere now we've got something now we can help people even when they're remote and get them the basics that they need um that's exciting to me that's very exciting so for sure and and i think um you know as you said like uh this event this pandemic has pushed the innovation forward and sort of uh, decimated some of the the beliefs and objections that used to uh, people have people used to have because uh, i remember i i spent a lot of time in healthcare and building systems for for um, for governments and a lot of uh, concerns were around privacy and security and they were not real concerns they were just like objections for the sake of objections and they were like you know nobody actually cared within two weeks uh because because of the pandemic because you know those were uh those were just like ignored um and so it really opened my eyes about how our belief systems can some sometimes sort of come in the way of innovation change is difficult right it's something that's constant and it's one of the the constants that we have throughout life but it's not comfortable yeah it's easy to get comfortable with the way things always are and sometimes it takes a really dramatic push to move yeah. us direction and i i think for better or for worse the pandemic has done that i'm leaning towards for better because yeah, i of course, of course. together in a way that i haven't before and i'm seeing really positive technologies come out of this that are game changers and not just for one nation or a few but for everybody so i'm very excited about this Awesome great well thank you so much for being with us and this has been a very interesting conversation um i learned a lot and uh, you know uh, getting getting sort of a, that uh, clear view of uh, where the 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 us air force and the government is going it's just amazing to learn that and thank you so much for being open and um, and sharing all these uh, amazing ideas and and things that that you're working on now before oh, i let you, you so go thank you for hoping Th- thank yeah. you so much for me this is fantastic for sure for sure um can you uh, before i let you go can you tell us uh, how people can reach out to you and connect with you if they want to yes the, the best way to find me is to go to jj snow at linkedin and if you find me there just go ahead and click and drop me a message and say hey i i heard you on on minaj's podcast or uh just tell me hey i'm interested in afworks and i'll go ahead and connect with you and and see how we can help awesome great thank you so much i'll uh, put that link in the show notes so that people wonderful. can wonderful thank you thank, thank you, you so again much. and it's so good to see you same here thank you so much hey i'm sarah producer of the bootstrapping your dreams show in your dreams show this episode has come to an end don't forget to check out the episode show notes for the links to the resources mentioned in this episode thanks for tuning in until the next episode goodbye keep going and keep winning